Today, we're going to go to verses 24 through 26 and get our first look at Moses and how he found God and Christ to be his greatest treasure and what that did for his faith, Um, which means we're also going to be stepping over in Exodus uh, a little bit later. So if you have a bookmark or something, stick it over in Exodus chapter 2, and we'll kind of catch up there in just a little bit. So this last week as I was preparing, um, I was reading this story about a young man uh, who came from a very wealthy and prominent family. His, his father was a, a very well-respected figure in the community, well-known, had attained a lot of status. And everyone expected the son to follow in his father's footsteps, right? To take over the business and to rise to, to wealth and noble standing and all that kind of stuff in the, in the community. But the young man was having none of it. Right, that was not where he was at. He um, had a passion. He was gripped by a passion for God and for the poor. And um, some said he was <laughs> gripped by religious mania, um, that he was just all in uh, with that. And did, that did not line up with uh, where his father had been. And so he just threw it all off, like literally threw it all off, including his fine clothes, and walked away naked from his father as he was yelling angry rebukes at him before he went on over and put on a simple robe and gave his life to prayer and to preaching from that point forward. That young man we now know today as St. Francis of Assisi, one of the great church fathers who invested so much into the church in those years, and His devotion to God and his release of all otherworldly things, all otherworldly pursuits, all otherworldly treasures was a testament to his deep faith in Jesus Christ and how much he treasured the Savior that had changed his life. We're going to see that same type of example today in the life and in the story of Moses. And we're going to learn that deeper faith forfeits all other treasures for the greatest treasure. A deeper faith in God, a deeper faith in Christ, willingly forfeits all other treasures of this world and this life in order to gain the greatest treasure that we find in Christ himself. And so with that in mind, go ahead and look with me in Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to pick up in verse 24 this morning. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So three things we're going to see from Moses this morning. First thing is this, my greatest treasure defines my primary identity. My greatest treasure defines my primary identity. In verse 24, it starts off and it says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up. Now, that's a key phrase right there because that signals for us exactly what part of Moses' life the author is talking about at this point. Because if we go to Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, that exact same phrase is used where it says that one day when Moses had grown up, pointing to his adulthood years. Now, what's interesting here to me about this in chapter 2 of Exodus, if you were with us a couple weeks ago, we started with his birth story, right? With his parents and saving him from being slaughtered and the whole, you know, putting the basket in the water thing. And then Exodus skips from his, his birth all the way to adulthood. No mention of his growing up years, no mention of his teen years or his youth, none of that, despite Charlton Heston's best attempt to portray that. The Bible says nothing. 
Okay, like we don't have anything about Moses' childhood or youth in the Scriptures. And so that kind of leaves us then to wonder, to speculate maybe, what would it have looked like to grow up as an adopted prince in Pharaoh's house? Like, when did Moses know that he was not Egyptian, that he was indeed Israelite? Like, did he know it from the very beginning? Did they tell him that from, you know, day one as they were raising him? Or did, like, he not find out until his cousin started teasing him at the Nile swim party? Like, when did this, when did this come about for him? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. When did he understand what was different for him? That he was supposed to be a slave, but instead he was being served by slaves in the palace. When did he finally realize that his people worshipped Yahweh and not his grandpa? Like, we don't know for sure, the Bible doesn't tell us, but we do know this, at this point in Exodus, in the book of Exodus, when he's grown up, that there comes a shift in his life where his, his, his choices, his decisions, his understanding, his faith becomes his own where he has to make a choice for himself. He's no longer dependent on the faith of his parents, either his adopted parents or his birth parents. They're kind of like, he has to decide which way is he going to go. And this is that point for Moses. And it says in Hebrews that he, at this point, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So according to Hebrews, he rejected his Egyptian home and went all in with the Israelites. Okay. And we see this play out itself in Exodus chapter 2. So we're going to look at that. And for sure, this was going to cost some waves, right? Like when you're rejecting the home you've been brought up in, been provided for, like all of that, like this is going to create some issues. So go with Exodus chapter 2 now. Look at verses 11 through 15 and let's see what happens. It says, One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. All right, so let's kind of walk through this story and see how this is playing itself out with Moses' identity. It starts off, it says that he went out to his people, and then later on again it says that it was one of his people. So it, it, the key phrase there is his people, right? Moses is now fully identifying as an Israelite, not an Egyptian. Like, he gets it. He's like, these are my people, at least internally. Maybe he hasn't said it out loud yet to anybody. Maybe he hasn't made a big scene, but like, internally, he's processing, these are my people. And then, it, also interesting, just a little side note here, when it says that he went out to his people, that phrase went out, it's actually the exact same phrase, the exact same language that's going to be used later on, when all of Israel went out of Egypt in the Exodus and headed towards the promised land with God. 
And so Moses leaving his Egyptian background here and now going to his people in this moment is kind of a foreshadowing or an initiation of the great exodus that God's going to use him to achieve when he leads all of God's people out of Egypt. It's starting right here with Moses and his own identity. So we see here that he has indeed made a shift from Egyptian royalty to Israelite servant. And although, again, it's probably only in his mind and in his heart at this point, but he's made that shift. And then it says he went out and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And in response, it says he struck down the Egyptian. So he, see, he goes out, he sees one of his kinsmen, one of his brothers, being treated unjustly by this Egyptian, right? Being beaten in some way that he did not deserve. And he's moved to defend them and to step in. And, and this seems to be his first public stance as an Israelite. The first time he's standing up for his people. This new, he's taking his new identity public, if you will, in this moment. And you even see this in his inner conflict, right? When he, when he sees it happen, he's trying to figure out what to do. And it says that he looked around, Right, he looked this way and that way to see if anybody was around. And then even whenever he did it, he hid the body. Like he's trying to conceal this shift that he's making. Right? He doesn't want anybody to know what's going on here. And there's, just to kind of touch on this, I know there's probably some questions in the room. There's a lot of debate right here over Moses' actions. Right? You read commentaries, you read Bible scholars and pastors. and theologians, Like, Was Moses' action here with the Egyptian, was it right or wrong? Like, was he an instrument of God's justice in this moment? Was God using him to avenge a sinful situation against his people? Or was he just lashing out in sinful vengeance of his own, trying to soothe his own conscience, right? But again, the Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't comment on the legitimacy of Moses' actions. It just says, this is what he did. And the reason it says that is because that's not really what this passage is about. It's not about a moral compass thing. It's about, hey, Moses is starting to live out his new identity as an Israelite rather than an Egyptian. He's stepping out to follow God in the way that he's been called. So the next day then, he goes out and he sees two Hebrews fighting. And he tries to help out again. Right? He tries to like, step in and, and get this thing. And when he tries to say something, one of the guys responds, he's like, who made you a prince over us? And there's kind of some like insinuation there, right? Like, big prince of Egypt over here, right? Like, who made you, a, now, now you want to be an Israelite? Yeah, no thanks, we got this. Like, you just stick to your own stuff, guy. Right? And then he says, are, are you, you going to kill me too, Mr. Hero? Right? Like, and this freaks Moses out, because now he, he knows, like, oh, it's not as hidden as I thought it was. People know what I did, people know what's going on. And it says that Moses was afraid... And then it says this, and Pharaoh sought to kill Moses. Now process this with me for just a moment. This is further proof that Moses has rejected his Egyptian identity and he's embraced his Hebrew identity. And not only did he know it, but Pharaoh knew it. Because if you think about it, if, what would be the response if a true Egyptian prince killed an Egyptian citizen? Probably nothing. He probably had every right and power to do that, right? Like he was the prince. He was part of the, the, the royalty. They could rule however they wanted to rule. 
And even if it would have been a problem, his dad was the king, right? His dad would have covered it up. He would have taken care of it. He would have smoothed it over. But that's not what happens here. It says Pharaoh sought to kill Moses. He would have covered for a son, but not for this traitor. Not for this ungrateful, disrespectful, turncoat kid who lived in my house and ate my food and I raised him all these years. He was supposed to die when he was a baby, like I ordered, and I let it go, and now we're here. See, Pharaoh knew. Pharaoh knew where Moses' allegiances lied, that they had shifted. Clearly, Moses had chosen his side. He had chosen his birth family over his adopted family. He had chosen Israel over Egypt. His identity was now a child of God, no longer a child of Pharaoh. And that made all the difference in the world. But this identity shift was not just a random choice that Moses made. It wasn't just something that he woke up one day and decided, hey, I think I'm going to go this direction. This was an outflow of his heart. This happened in his heart first. And it started when he began to treasure God, the God of his people, over everything and everyone else. That's when it changed who he was. Now, there's a little sidebar here that I think is important that it plays into this. In the book of Hebrews there, when, when the writer of Hebrews is talking about this account, he keeps referring to the people of God. In fact, he almost puts an emphasis on the people of God. He doesn't call them Israel. He doesn't call them the Hebrews. He calls them the people of God because throughout the book of Hebrews, he's, he's trying to unite the people of God. Both Israel and the church all are together the people of God. People of God have always been the same throughout history. It's always been the people who've had faith in him. And they're one. And he's trying to show this to the church. He's trying to show this through Moses and through this account. And so he keeps referring to the people of God, but there's more than just that. He's making us understand that to identify with Christ is to identify with God's people like Christ did. This is at the core of the gospel. That he didn't just save us. That God came down to earth and took on human form to save us. He came and he identified with us, looking like us, walking like us, talking like us, living life like us, so that he could then eventually go to the cross and die a death like ours for our sin. He came and he identified with us because we couldn't fix our own sin problem. Every one of us is sinners by birth and by choice, by nature. We've rebelled against God. We have disobeyed his word. And before that, we deserve his wrath. We deserve hell. And yet Jesus came in our place as a human to identify with us, to go to the cross, and then die as a substitute for our sin. And then he was buried, and three days later he came back to life. And when he came back, he came back again in human form. Once again, to identify with us and to call us to say, look, you can be saved. You can have forgiveness. You can have new life like this if you'll turn from your sin and follow me. Jesus came to identify with us, but that path of identification, it cost him greatly. 
He was rejected by the world that he came to save. And just like Christ, and just like Moses, when we put our faith in him, when we identify with God and and with God's people, it's going to cost us something. Like, you need to know this. Somehow I think we, we, we scoot around this too often when we talk about the gospel, that identifying with Jesus Christ is going to cost you something because it cost him everything. And he's the one you're following. But the linchpin is this. When we finally see Jesus as our greatest treasure, when he finally is the greatest treasure of our heart, we're willing to give up anything it costs to follow him. There are lots of people in our city, in our county, in our country, in our state that have been exposed to Jesus at some point. They've been taught about Jesus. They've been taught about the gospel somewhere along the way. Maybe even as a child, they've even prayed a prayer or got baptized or walked an aisle somewhere. They've done something. But now they're grown up and they have no relationship with Jesus Christ. And they think that they're good. They think they're going to heaven. They think they've got it all worked out. They think they did whatever they had to do religiously back in the day. And now I've checked the box and I'm getting in and I can just live however I want. I don't really need Jesus. And they've missed it. There was a gentleman, just an example of this. I, I was witnessing to another man several years ago who was in desperate need of God's help in his life. Like, his life was just in shambles. His family, his marriage, his, his business, all of it was just a mess. And as I spoke with him, I, I began to understand, it became clear that he already knew who Jesus was. He knew who Jesus was. He understood the gospel. He even understood his need for a Savior. He, want, he said he wanted to be saved. But then he would say something like this, I, I want Jesus I just don't want to give up my weekends. Or I don't want to give up this or that. And basically what he was saying was like, in other words, I still want to party, I still want to drink, I still want to smoke dope, I still want to, I still want to have my life of sin, I just want to tack Jesus onto the side of it. And because of that, he would never come to trust in Jesus. He would never actually put his faith in Christ. And it was heartbreaking. And I, I grieved, it was hurt, it was, it was, it was horrible. But, I'll give him this, he actually understood something that many people never do. That there's a real cost to putting your faith in Jesus. He couldn't change his identity to to be a follower of Christ because his heart had not yet changed to treasure Christ more than the other stuff in his life. And he knew it. And at least he was honest about it. It starts with our hearts. What do we treasure most? That's what changes our identity. That's what what brings us in line with Jesus. You see, if I treasure success and status the most, my identity will always be in my profession first. If I treasure money most, 
My identity will always be first in my lifestyle and what I have and what I don't have and, and how I'm living. If I treasure my family most, my identity will always first be a, a mother or a father or a husband or a wife. If I treasure sex or substances most, my identity will always be in what gratifies me first. Because the reality is my greatest treasure defines my primary identity. It does. It drives us. And only when Jesus is my greatest treasure will the follower of Christ become my primary identity. And so, I would challenge you, just ask yourself this morning, like just be honest for a moment with your own heart. What treasure does my primary identity point to? When you think about who you are, when you meet a new person and you tell them about yourself, when you think about what the, the primary defines you, what does that identity, what does that point to as your greatest treasure? For Moses, it pointed to God. pointed to the Messiah. Can you say the same thing? Firstly, it's about identity. Secondly, we see here, look at verse 25 again. It says, Moses was choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So the second thing we see here from Moses is that my greatest treasure dictates my sacrifices of choice. My greatest treasure dictates my sacrifices of choice. The very first word of verse 25 is so important. It says that he was choosing. This was a conscious choice for Moses. What was he willing to sacrifice for God? What did he most treasure and what was he willing to give up in order to get it? See, friends, the reality is this. We all make these choices every day. We all make choices about sacrifices every day day. We choose what we will and what we will not sacrifice to get what we most treasure. Will I sacrifice my time and my diet and my sweat to get that body shape that I really want? Right? Will I sacrifice my, my nights and my weekends with my family to make that money and get the promotion and, and get the thing that I've been working towards? Will I say no to all these other things and give up gobs of time and money so my kid can play that activity or that sport or do that thing. I don't have enough time to both date my spouse and pursue my hobby, so which one am I going to give up? We all make these choices all the time. What am I going to sacrifice to get what I really treasure, what I really want the most? Because we all have limited time, we all have limited money, we all have limited energy, and we have to choose. And those choices flow from what our heart most deeply treasures. For Moses, it says that he chose to be mistreated with the people of God. 
Remember, Israel at this point, they're slaves, right? They are living as slaves, oppressed, abused, living in lack, rejected by their country that they're in, rejected by all the people around them. And up to this point, Moses has pretty much gotten a pass on that. Right? He's been living in the palace, he's been living in luxury, none of that stuff. But now that he's wanting to identify with them, he now has to live like them. He couldn't straddle the fence anymore. It says he chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. That seems like a strong statement, but you have to understand at this point, for Moses to stay in the palace... For Moses to stay in the world he was used to would have been sin for him. It would have been sin because he understood now that these people, his people, were made in God's image. And for him to profit off of their abuse and their enslavement was uh, was not okay. He understood that it would have been a sin because rejecting God's people meant rejecting God. And the worship of God and worshiping something or someone else instead. He understood, as the New Testament tells us, that he simply knew better. James 4.17, one of the most basic passages on sin I think we skip so much. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. If God has opened your eyes, if the Holy Spirit has convicted you on something, if it's become clear to you, that this isn't good for you, it isn't good for God's name, it isn't good for his church, it isn't good for your family, then it's sin. It doesn't matter if the Bible spells it out or not. And yet it also says, rather than enjoy the, enjoy the pleasures of sin. Can we, just, can we just be honest in church, for a morning this, for, in church this morning for a moment? Sin is fun. Sin is pleasurable. Sin is enjoyable. That's why we do it. You wouldn't want to do it if it wasn't fun. You wouldn't desire it if there wasn't something in it for you. And yet, it also says here that it is the fleeting pleasures of sin. Fun is sin for sin. Fun is sin? Sin is fun for a season. And then the consequences come. Moses had it. He had wealth. He had position. He had power. He had an advantage in the palace. And that would have been fun. Let's just be honest. That would have been enjoyable. But when it ended, he knew he'd be stuck with the consequences of sin, which is not fun. And this is always the lie that sin tells us, right? Like, just come, enjoy yourself, it'll be fun, just come and come on over, let future Micah worry about the consequences, like, let's just have this moment right here, which is great, but present Micah eventually becomes future Micah, and then all the problems blow up. Moses got that. He saw the cost of his choices, and he chose that which would get him the greatest treasure, not just now, but in the future. He was looking beyond the present, and he chose to sacrifice the pleasures of earthly treasures because God was his greatest treasure. Friends, the the world comes hard 
after our hearts when it comes to treasure. It does, right? It tries to allure us with the pleasures and the advantages of sin. It tries to coerce us with ill treatments and attacks, and and this is what's going to happen if you don't do it my way. And in all of that, the only hope that we have, the only hope that we have to stand against it is to have a greater treasure securely anchored in our hearts. That we are so invested in Him that all those other things don't even stack up. Like Moses, we have to choose to sacrifice the pleasure and the pain of this world for the greatest treasure that's only found in Jesus Christ. You know, as Christians, even now, maybe you've been saved a day, maybe you've been saved a year, maybe you've been saved a lifetime, but all of us, we all have besetting sins in our lives. Different ones at different times. Praise the Lord, He sanctifies us and He grows us out of certain sins, but there's still always something there, right, that God's working on. It's especially true when you first come to Christ. Like when you first get serious about following Jesus, you have some sin habits in your life that like have built up over the years and it takes a while to to get those out. For God to work those things out of your life. For me, it was lust and pornography. I was exposed to pornography at a very young age and it grew in me this, this life that was consumed by lust for years. I would sneak around, I would lie, I would deceive, I would take every opportunity I could to feed my sinful lust. And because of that, I sacrificed a lot. Sacrificed a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of relationships, even my own intimacy with God and having a relationship with Him in the way that I could and should to pursue this treasure of self-gratification. And it finally came to a head when Courtney and I first got married, and God confronted me in my sin. And he showed me the consequences of my sin, not just for me, but for my family, for my marriage, for my church, for everyone around me. And at that point, I had a choice I had to make. What was going to be my greatest treasure? My sexual desires? Or my God. And as he started to work in my heart, and as Jesus started to become that greatest treasure, as I started to pursue him first and foremost, slowly but surely, those other treasures, those other desires, they started to fade away. And God started to decrease those things in my heart and in my life. But it started with shifting my focus to Jesus being the greatest treasure. It starts with the heart. We all sacrifice something to get what we treasure. Are you willing to sacrifice the treasures of this world to get the greatest treasure in Jesus Christ? Or let me ask it this way. What treasure am I choosing and what am I sacrificing to get it? In your life right now, ask yourself that. What treasure am I choosing? What's the thing that I'm most running after? 
What am I giving my most of my time and my attention and my energy towards getting? What do I value the most? And what else am I giving up? What am I sacrificing in order to get that? Because if that greatest treasure isn't Jesus, then that means you're sacrificing Jesus to get whatever it is. Moses sacrificed everything to pursue the God of his faith. Last thing we see here is verse 26. It says this, that Moses, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Third thing that we learn is this, my greatest treasure determines my ultimate reward. My greatest treasure determines my ultimate reward. It says here that that he gave up the treasures of Egypt. Don't gloss over that, right? Like at this point in time, at this point in the in world history, Egypt was the primo civilization, right? The treasures of Egypt were legendary. Like legend, wait for it, dairy, right? Like they had it all. Right? They were the biggest, they were the most powerful, they were the richest civilization. They had all the things. Moses had access to all of it. And yet it says he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. That struck me so hard when I was studying this. The reproach of Christ, not the glory of Christ, Not his kingdom, not his throne, not not all of the good stuff, not the temple. He considered the reproach of Christ. Christ's rejection by his own family and his own people. His betrayal by his closest friends. His false accusations made against him. The suffering in this life, his suffering in his death. All of the reproach of Christ. Jesus experienced all of that. And so, by the way, like, if you're, if you're here this morning and you're like, Micah, this is great and all, but, like, I'm just in a really rough place. Like, I'm suffering right now with some stuff. I'm struggling. You're not alone. Jesus gets it. He knows exactly what you're going through because he suffered as well. And Moses here said that the, that the reproach of Christ, the suffering of Christ, was of greater wealth. And Moses knew something about suffering too, by the way. Like he, he knew what this looked like. Moses also was rejected by the Israelites when God called him to be their leader multiple times. He was betrayed by his own siblings in the midst of trying to lead the people. He was falsely accused by the people that he was trying to love and lead and ended up having to suffer with them for 40 years in the desert. Like if anybody knows about the reproach of Christ, Moses does. Like, I oftentimes feel like, I think Moses had, like, the worst ministry in all of the Bible. Like, it was miserable. He knows the reproach of Christ. Better than most of us. And he considered it greater wealth than all that Egypt had to offer. All that this world had to offer. Because Moses believed that his identity in Christ was of supreme value. And when you get that, nothing else even comes close. 
Everything else pales in comparison. Because he knew his identity in Christ was the only way that he would be saved from his sin and have a life with God. And that was his greatest treasure. And so it closes and it says, for he was looking to the reward. The reward. Notice it doesn't say a reward. The reward. The ultimate reward. The eternal reward of living in God's presence forever and ever and ever with the Lord. That's what Moses was looking for. That's, he knew that's where he would be most fulfilled. That's where he would be most at peace. That's where he would be experience the fullness of joy where he would feel safe and secure and fully loved all the things that we long for all things that we're looking for in this life would only come in christ and in the greatest reward of god's presence for eternity so he was looking for that reward over all others and he knew the only way to get that reward was to treasure christ and forfeit all the other things And also notice it says that he was looking to the reward. Looking is in the imperfect tense, meaning it's a a continual action. That he kept looking and looking and looking day after day after day. This wasn't a one-time thing. And friends, this is the only way that we're going to get there. The only way we're going to be able to, to release the treasures of this world, the temptations of this world, all the things that come at us, and keep walking with Christ and keep our eyes set on the goal is to have that reward that we keep looking to over and over and over again. And as we do that, as we fix our eyes on the Lord and on the promise of our life, perfect life with Him, everything else falls away in light of his glory and of his grace. St. Francis of Assisi, I mentioned him earlier in his story. Just like Moses, he chose to sacrifice the pleasures of this world. He had all of it, and he chose to sacrifice it for the reproach of Christ. He inspired many others to join him and and led them to follow Jesus and to hold Jesus as the greatest treasure of their lives. And when we look back in church history, we find out he was at the point where he surrendered, he was only able to, to serve the Lord for a short 20 years before he passed away. But in that 20 years, he wrote numerous papers and books and writings that have still served the church even today for millennia. And he spread the gospel, and he grew the church, and he made disciples all over Europe. God used him in a mighty way, and no doubt he will receive a great reward in eternity. But it's all because he chose Christ as his greatest treasure. It's not because of what he accomplished. It's not because of all the stuff on his resume. He'll receive the reward because he considered Christ the greatest treasure and he was willing to release everything else. What is your greatest treasure and what reward is it bringing you? What is your greatest treasure? What do you treasure most? And in the end, 
what are you going to get for it? What reward are you going to reap? And is it worth it? Deeper faith forfeits all other treasures for the greatest treasure. Is there another treasure in your life that's keeping you from finding your primary identity in Jesus? Is there some other treasure in your life that is stealing your sacrifice from Jesus? Is some other treasure greater in your heart than Jesus because you're chasing the wrong reward? If so, if any of those apply to you today, the good news is this. Jesus can help. Like he's here right now today with us ready to change your heart. If you're willing to surrender. If like Moses, you're willing to choose to lay down all the other stuff, he today can come in and be the greatest treasure that you'll ever have. Today can be your day of surrender. Today can be your day of change where your heart shifts to truly putting Jesus first. And so here's how I want to end end today. In a moment, I'm going to pray. Our worship team is going to sing like usual. But here's what I want for you. I want you to use this moment to pray and have a moment with the Lord. Just talk with him one-on-one and search your heart. Ask him, search my heart, Lord. Is there any treasure that I'm holding on to more than you? Is there anything in my heart that is greater than you? And if there is, pray and ask him to help you lay that down and for him to be your greatest treasure. And just to help maybe make this even a little more concrete for you, we're going to open up the front of the church this morning as an altar to the, for the Lord. This isn't some you know, special sacred place up here like this. We didn't like anoint this with special oil this morning or anything, okay? Like it's just, it's just another part of the church. But it's a place where you can come and you can kneel in humility and you can surrender. You can actually make a physical move with your body that signifies to the Lord that your heart is serious about what you're praying. And so the front of the stage here, there's going to be an altar. You can just kneel at the front of the stage. You can kneel in these front chairs here if you need. And I would just invite you, like if this is a moment for you this morning, if the Lord's really working on your heart today, take this that next step. Come forward, kneel before the Lord. Let's do some work. Let's do some spiritual work today with God by his grace as he changes our hearts. I'm going to pray. They're going to sing. You're going to pray. Come up front if the Lord so leads you. Stand. Let's do this. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we we just confess before you this morning, God, that too often, Lord, we miss it. We are weak. We are broken. We are sinful people, Lord, and we confess that our hearts are drawn to other treasures. But Lord, we want you. We want you to be our greatest treasure.
So Lord, turn our hearts. Turn our hearts to you. Lord, grow us in our faith in you. Help us, Lord, to treasure you more than anything else. Lord, today we lay it down. We lay down all the other things. We want you the most. Lord, if we have you, we have everything. Change our hearts today. We pray all this in Christ's name.